Welcome to the Watermark OC Church Sunday morning message podcast. At Watermark, we believe that teaching and preaching is not just about information transfer, it's actually about life transformation. So we continue this tradition that has been handed down to the very first believers over 2,000 years ago. Teaching and preaching matters for the formation of your mind, for your soul, for your body. And we hope that today your ideas are challenged and that your imagination is reignited with the truth of Scripture. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to connect with us, just go to watermarkoc.com slash contact. Good morning. I'm Riley Appleby, Ben's wife, and we decided to change places today. So he got all the kids ready, and I get to be here teaching with you guys. So thank you for having me. This morning, we're going to continue our uh, summer series in the book of Psalms. And we're also going to be doing question and answer after the service. So you can submit your questions to that link above, or we'll pass around a microphone after. So let's talk about the book of Psalms. I've always thought of Psalms as a book of poetry, beautiful and symbolic, but not very practical or relevant. When I had the opportunity to look deeper into the story behind the book of Psalms, I found this ancient book to be not only highly relevant, but also containing many practical tools for life. Did you see the Bible Project video Ben showed a few weeks ago? If not, go back and watch it. It gives a beautiful context and summary of the book of Psalms. The Bible Project gives us a definition of the book of Psalms. It says, The the book of Psalms is the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to the Torah and waiting for the Messianic kingdom. The Jews are anxiously awaiting their Messiah as they strive be to be faithful to the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. And now this premise sounds familiar, and it's actually very applicable to where we sit today. Hundreds of years later, we sit in the same position. And this is a great description of our community. God's people striving to be faithful to the word of God as we anxiously await our Messiah's return. And with this definition, I read the book of Psalms so differently. Psalms is applicable and is very relevant for our daily lives. Today, we will be focusing on one psalm filled with practical wisdom and knowledge. It gives two ways we can hear from and connect with God. As a Christian of many years, I've had seasons where God's voice and direction feels so loud and clear where my relationship feels intimate and close. And then there are other seasons where I feel more disconnected and distant, struggling to connect with my creator. I feel like Psalms 19 is a true north in any season. When we're struggling and need to hear from God or connect with Jesus, it points us to a game plan or a how. Psalm 19 is a psalm of praise connected to David and it's dedicated to praising God for the Torah. It points us to two powerful voices of God. The first is God's voice in nature or creation, and the second is God's voice in the Bible or his word. 
I believe we all want to hear God's voice. A question for us to wrestle with today is, do I believe I can hear God's voice? And if so, how? The first voice this this psalm talks about is the voice of the heavens or nature. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. This paints such a beautiful picture and should leave us in awe of our creator who speaks through his creation. Do you ever sit in nature and think of it as the voice piece of God? Creation speaks without words to the nature of the creator. We can search for and listen to the voice of God in nature. We can see God's attention to detail as the all-loving creator in the intricate form of a bumblebee or his omnipotent power in the wave of a tsunami. Through the majesty of a sunset and the star-filled sky, we can see the all-knowing and all-present nature of our God. All creation declares and points to the God of the universe and should bring us to an absolute place of reverence and praise. In Luke 19, we see Jesus talk directly to the powerful way nature is capable of praise. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem the week before he is to be killed, and the multitude is praising him, saying, King who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees rebuke Jesus, demanding he make the crowd stop. Jesus replies, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If we don't worship and praise our creator, nature will do it and does it continually. Creation cannot help but cry out and point us to his majesty. If even rocks were created with the capacity to worship, how much more should we be worshiping our creator as his image bearers? Psalm 19 continues with the second voice of God, God's voice in the Word or, his, or the Bible. In God's Word or the Bible. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. 
Psalm 19 uses words I don't naturally use to describe the law. It says the law is refreshing to the soul, trustworthy, giving joy to the heart, radiant, giving light to the eyes. The world's definition of truth and law looks so different than God's biblical narrative. The world says truth is relative, feelings-based, ever-changing. The Bible says truth is concrete, constant, based on God's never-changing word. I love the story one pastor shares about raising boys who are obsessed with Legos. He says that in a bin full of Legos, his sons can always pick out the one off-brand fake Lego. The reason for this is because his sons have, been, have grown up being fed the best on-brand Lego Legos their whole lives. So it's easy for them to discern a fake. I found this such a powerful metaphor for parenting. In a world of half-truths, which often sound very loving and kind. My job as a parent is to immerse my children in biblical truth, to set an example of godly marriage and teach them God's word, grace, and love, so that when they're being bombarded with regularly changing definitions of truth, they will be able to tell the difference between the real and the counterfeit. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The world says the law and biblical truth is restrictive and outdated. The Bible says the law is life-giving and refreshing to the soul. How do you view God's law in your own life? Are you looking to the law as restrictive and limiting or is transforming and restorative. The law brings freedom, not restriction. Psalm 19 goes on to highlight the value of God's word and uses some beautiful word pictures around honey and gold. It says, They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Both honey and gold were held in high value during biblical times. Honey was considered a delicacy, and gold and honey can be found in tombs of some of the great Egyptian pharaohs. I loved looking at the characteristics of both honey and gold and seeing how they relate to the value and character of the Bible. Gold is a precious metal. It is very ductile. You may ask, what is ductile? Ductile means a single ounce of gold can be stretched into a thread five miles long. As truth changes according to culture, the Bible, like gold, can be stretched out in internal relevance as its consistent yet applicable truth remains true. The Bible is ductile. Gold is the most non-reactive metal. It does not rust. God's word does not rust. It remains strong and true through the ages. Honey is medicinal. It's healing. It can be used to treat infection. God's word renews our minds, 
healing and disinfecting the messages the world's wisdom tries to teach us. The Bible stands true and strong through the generations, like raw honey, which never spoils. Honey is nutritious. It is a great survival food and filled with vitamins and minerals. God's word is of the highest nutritional value, and we should be eating daily from this renewal feast. In my early parenting years, I had a friend tell me not to worry about the fact that Ben and I weren't reading our Bibles or tithing yet, that raising young children was just a season and we would eventually get there. Now, 11 years later, we're still raising young children, (laughs) but also as I reflect back on what I would tell a young mother in regards to daily nutrition, I think, would I tell a young mother not to eat? It's just a season? No way. (laughs) When a new mother arrives home from the hospital, we bring her food and ask her if she's eaten. The word of God is essential nutrition. There is no season we should not read or hear the word of God. Now, I know this is not always easy, but the Bible app has made it so accessible for us to listen or read the Bible. As a family, we start, before we start listening to music in the morning, we turn on our daily Bible reading. Does it happen every day? No. But this rhythm has helped our family hear God's word most days. I once heard a woman say her parents had regularly read the Bible to her, and by the time she left their home, she had heard the Bible read in a whole 13 times. What an incredible legacy to leave as a parent. I want to read the Bible over my children regularly, so when they leave my home, they will know the God of both the Old and New Testament, be able to recognize his voice, and spot a truth from a lie. Next, Psalm 19 talks about how we should respond to the law. It says, By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Obedience to God's word brings great reward. The word of God warns us and speaks wisdom to our daily lives. Finally, the psalm ends in a beautiful prayer of repentance. It says, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The end of this psalm leaves us with a prayer of repentance and surrender to the Almighty. Repentance, a casting off of sin, a self-awareness of our need for our Savior, and a turn towards God. One of our children has taught Ben and I so much about repentance. Each night he'll come up to our bed and share what's gone on in the day and what's on his heart. Often these times will end in a time of repentance. He'll share a harsh word he spoke or an inappropriate thought. He has given us an example of what repentance looks like in community. This has been a conviction for me. 
He has built a mechanism into his life for regular repentance. Have I? Do I have tools for regular repentance? Do we live in a time where repentance is a lost art? Where is my confessional booth? How do I build this sacred act and practice of repentance into my daily life? I want to model what my son has shown me. This repentance then should turn into surrender, a turn from self-governance to God's governance over my life, a giving of my will to align with his will. This repentance and surrender will lead us to refreshing in our own lives. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I've seen this pattern so many times in my own life. Repentance, surrender, and refreshing. God has used our journey with foster care to bring me to this surrender. With foster care, and really so many things in life, it's all about surrender and coming to the realization that you are not in control. Ben and I picked up our son, Crusade, from the hospital when he was just two days old. We took this sweet, tiny baby home. And for six months, we did night feeds, diaper changes, and daily life while falling absolutely head over heels in love with Crusade. The first goal of foster care is always family reunification. The foster care system tries to give birth parents the best chance possible to succeed and reunify with their family. And as foster parents, this is also our goal. So day one, family reunification, that's my goal. But the first six months, we had no visits or interactions with any birth family. And as each day went by, my focus on reunification faded, as this baby boy now felt like my son. One day, my social worker called me and said, Crusade's birth mom has been moved to a local prison, and I need you to start facilitating weekly visits. I remember my heart just sinking, like, okay, here you go, remember the goal, family reunification. And this began a really challenging season where I had a daily wrestling with God, where I could feel myself filling with anxiety and wanting to control outcomes and where this baby, who I love so dearly, would end up. Each day I struggled as God worked on my heart to repent and surrender to him. One night, I was putting Crusade down to bed, and I was reading him a book. It was a simple children's book that talked about sowing seeds of love and kindness, and I heard God say so clearly, Riley, all I am calling you to do is sow seeds of love and kindness into this little boy and his mom's life. You don't need to worry about outcomes, not that you can control them anyways. Your only job is to love Crusade and his family and surrender everything else. That night, I felt my heart change from wrestling to submission and finally come to a place of rest. Not that it didn't continue to be hard to trust God, but I knew what God was so clearly telling me to do, and that was to love. 
and I knew I had to release the rest. When Crusade was two years old, we adopted him. And today we have such a special relationship with his birth parents. And just think, if I would not have surrendered my own will and repented of my own attempts to control, I could have missed that, and so could have crusade. Oh, what a gift a surrendered heart is to the Lord, and what blessings it brings. Today, as we close, I just want to read this prayer of repentance and surrender over you again. This week, reflect on if there's an area in your life you need to repent or surrender something to God so you can experience his sweet refreshing. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday morning message at Watermark OC Church. If you have questions, go to watermarkoc.com questions, or you can go to our homepage, watermarkoc.com, and reach out for coffee with a pastor. We cannot wait to meet you.